Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do a companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net if you have suggestions for topics guests and other ideas please send them to info@scientificsense.com and i can be reached at gil@epen.info My guest today is Professor Daniel Applebaum, who is Professor of Radiology and the Director of the Nuclear Medicine and PET Imaging at the University of Chicago. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So um, I know that we have sort of broad, two broad areas we want to go into. One is in the area of nuclear medicine, and another is radiomics more generally. Um, could you uh, to set the context could you sort of talk a little bit about what nuclear medicine is and how radiomics uh, fit into the fit into that arena uh, absolutely um, so yeah um, it's it's a little um, confusing i'm kind of wear multiple hats uh, some of them overlap um, i'm a professor of radiology i'm a, i'm a board certified radiologist uh, but my area of expertise is also is within nuclear medicine um some people calling that uh, molecular imaging now um which is not just imaging it's actually also um more and more um therapy and so i guess you know the, a basic starter issue that a lot of people have um questions about is you know what is what is nuclear medicine molecular imaging um what versus you know conventional um radiology um and so uh, radiology is medical imaging um and it things that you you've been familiar with would be you know a chest x-ray or other types of x-rays mri ultrasound um cat scans um but all these modalities have somewhat in common um paint with a broad brush are um they use a, a machine which has a external energy source um whether it's um radio waves and magnets with an mri or um an x-ray source outside the patient with a plain film and x-ray or a cat scan um sound waves with ultrasound but these are all external sources of energy um including radiation that get passed through the patient um nuclear medicine is is kind of the opposite of that we make the patient the energy source uh, we make the actually we make the patient radioactive we inject them with um a radioisotope depending on what we are looking for and we have 
dozens to, to pick from. Um, and the patient literally becomes radioactive. And, and the patient emit, is emitting the x-rays, which can then be detected on a, um, an, an imaging detecting device. Um, either way, whether uh, the, it's an external energy source or an, the patient is the energy source, um, we, we make a medical image um, that, that is then read by uh, a, a radiologist or nuclear medicine physician. Um, the other, so, that, so that's kind of the one main difference, how the images are acquired. And um, the, the other main difference is that the um, radiology images, um, again, MRI, casting, ultrasound, um, x-ray, um, they tend to focus on anatomy. Okay, you see uh, a bone that has a crack in it. Um, you see a, a shadow in the lung, a nodule, because it's, it's there. Something abnormal is sitting there. Um, so that's anatomy. Nuclear medicine, molecular imaging, is imaging physiology, how things are acting, how they're actually functioning. Um, and so, you know, we can see a fracture, but we don't see the crack in the bone. We see the bone next to the fracture healing. We see the healing process. Um, we can see a nodule in a lung, but not um, because it's there, not the anatomy, but what it's doing. Is it um, eating lots of sugar, and maybe it's a lung cancer, or is does it have a large number of special receptors, and it's a um, you know a, a carcinoid tumor, for example. Um, and so we, we're seeing physiology versus anatomy. Um, a lot of people call nuclear medicine um, unclear medicine, uh, make fun of it because the images are are almost necessarily kind of a little. Um, um, muddy. You know, physiology is a fuzzier process than, than anatomy. Um, but um, more and more, uh, so, but these are, on the other hand, very powerful images. So they're kind of fuzzier, but very powerful. Um, but more and more, we're actually combining the two modalities into one machine. And so um, we have a PET CT machine or a PET MR machine, and we can have the best of both worlds to show both the physiology and the anatomy all on a single image. Um, with lots of powerful information. So, so Dan, so uh, just at a very really high level, is it correct to think about nuclear medicine? You put some sort of a radioactive tracer into the body, it can travel inside the body, it can go to a target, and then you can really sort of see uh, at a molecular level what might be happening. Whereas uh, radiology in general is more about large structures. Uh, but as you say, as a source from outside, right? The, it, it, the resolution you get is not necessarily very high, I would think. Um, yeah, so you're right. A nuclear image, you inject a, a radio tracer and it, it goes to its intended target. Um, um, and it's showing on a, on a molecular level what's going on, where, whereas uh, radiology is showing the anatomy. Um, radiology has much better resolution. So, I mean, the idea of large structures, I'm not sure is 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 the best analogy um but but it's looking you're, you're, you're correct in that it's it's looking for um these molecular processes um which would we which we can image um and more and more as we can talk about you know with theranostics um we, we can inject other radio tracers that deliver a different kind of radiation to the tumor for example um and 
and, and actually can treat it. So um, maybe the most common nuclear study these days, um, if you gotta pick a single one, is is a uh, FDG PET scan. You may have heard of a PET scan. Um, and we use it for a number of different reasons, but the most common is to um, detect cancer. Um, and you know, it's elegant in some ways, very simple. The, the, the tracer that we usually use is, is simply a radioactive sugar. We inject a radioactive sugar called um, fluorodeoxyglucose. And cancers use more sugar than um, normal tissue, a lot more sugar uh, m most of the time. And the, um, the, the sugar will go to the, 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 uh, the tumor and all of its locations. Um, it will then give off the x-rays and we can take a picture of that. Um, and we can detect areas of cancer that, that perhaps were not seen on the, on the CAT scan or the MRI or the ultrasound um, because we can detect things at, at a molecular level and, and, and often um, at a much smaller um, uh, level, actually. Um, then we can turn around and give it a different kind of radiation, um, a much more powerful radiation and, and target the tumor in a similar way but instead of taking a picture of it, we can we can fry it and, and actually treat the tumor um, and only the tumor. We don't you don't get hair loss. You don't lose your stomach lining and get nauseous and throw up. Um, you don't usually even feel it inside of you. But we're actually treating the tumor, for example. So so this is a lot more precision targeting, right? So you can go to the site and you can make an impact uh, at the site more precisely. Um, but once the tracer is in there, do you have any control over it? Uh, I know that there's a lot going on with micro robotics and you know delivering medicines directly to certain sites. Is is there once the once the tracer is inside, do you have any control as to when to fire or not to fire? Um, so you know these tracers are developed um, over many years. We use um, rats and other animal models and see where they go. Um, but once we have a very clear idea where they're going, we use them in humans, um, we, we know exactly you know, where they're going um, and, and where, they're, uh, where it's being excreted. Most things are um, leave, leave the patient either through the urine or the feces or sometimes both. So um, the, the way these work is they, they go to their intended targets. Um, it, it sticks there. Um, a, a portion of the tracer will stick there. The rest of it will get excreted from the body. Um, that's one important factor. But the other one is um, these, whatever we're injecting does not stay radioactive indefinitely. They all have what we call a half-life. How long does it take for half the, the radioactivity to actually um, no longer be radioactive or, or decay into a non-radioactive state? Um, and so- what's, um, a, what's a typical, typical half-life? Oh. So the, the most common uh, tracer we use with PET um, is, uh, has a two-hour half-life, 118 minutes, actually. Um, so you're looking for a sweet spot of, of a tracer that stays radioactive enough for you to inject, for it to localize in the patient, for you to take your pictures, but then to decay away and no longer be radioactive. So, you know, after, after about 10 half-lifes, um, the amount of radi of decay is, is very, very minimal in a patient. So after 24 hours, um, uh, after the patient is really no longer detectable radio detect has detectable radioactivity within them. Now some tracers we give, um, they might be uh, have a half life of over a week, 
like iodine-131. Um, and the patient might be radioactive for, for weeks. In fact, um, sometimes uh, we, we'll give them a letter that they carry around with them, and we say, you need to carry this for actually a couple of months. Um, because in this day of Homeland Security now, we have um, you know, radiation detectors at, at airports and, you know, uh, the world, well, uh, the Sears Tower, now known as the Willis Tower, for example. And, um, you know, you, you can actually set those off and, and they can produce their, their letter and they'll, and they'll give us a call just to make sure they're not, you know, holding a dirty bomb. So, um, but most tracers, and when they're radioactive for a longer period of time, we, we have, we're forced to give a lower amount of radiation to the patient, if that makes sense. Um, but so, so that's how we control, we don't control it, but we just, we've observed what it does and we, we predict and we can know exactly how the radiation is gonna act in the patient. Yeah, I was reading through one of the review papers you had sent Dan, um, and, and it's about uh, theranostics. Um, it says it refers to the pairing of diagnostic biomarkers with therapeutic agents that share a specific target in disease cells or tissues. And so uh, it's sort of going in and it's, it's getting information to actually do a diag diagnosis and then, and then treat. Um, so so what's the, how, how does the technology work in that context? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're entering a, a very um, exciting period in uh, molecular uh, medicine where um, the, the, re the scientific reality of our capabilities are finally catching up with, you know, the theory and, and what we dreamed about, you know, decades ago. Um, and we're just starting now to see um, uh, these, all these different um, tracers come um, and almost become available to, to market. Um, some of them are still in like late research trials and there's many more in the pipeline. Um, but um, as I alluded to earlier, um, we can give a tracer to take a picture and we can give a tracer to treat. Um, and so the, the, the interesting and exciting model that's kind of come out um, um, recently um, has kind of taken those two terms, diagnosis, you know, to, to identify and, and, and therapy and, and made the word ther uh, theranostics. And, um, uh, uh, but more importantly than the word, of course, is, is the, um, um, what, what it's describing. And that is um, a, a tracer which will demonstrate um, whether a tumor is avid for it um, and it will light up. And then you can use, so, so you have a, let's say, um, and I'll, I'll use the, let's say you have a, a, a prostate cancer um, and most prostate cancers or, or, or much of the prostate cancers have um, a certain antibody on them called prostate specific, um, I'm sorry, an antigen called prostate specific membrane um, antigen. And we can take an antibody to this antigen um, and we can first put a, a, a diagnostic isotope on it, like S18, and see, is the tumor taking up this, does the tumor have these receptors? Does it have this antigen? Is it taking up the, the tracer? We take a picture of that and we say, hey, look, it's, it's lighting up. It's lighting up. We can say then, great, now let's swap out the diagnostic energy source, the diagnostic radiation that just gives off photons for pictures, um, and let's put a more powerful radiation source on the same exact antibody, because we've now proven 
that the tumor of this particular patient contains this antibody, uh, uh, antigen, and um, uh, we can put on, say, a, a, a beta emitter or an alpha emitter. These are more powerful forms of radiation that, that don't actually leave the patient. They, they, they don't make it to the, the detector for a picture, but they stay, um, they might tra they travel less than a millimeter, and they can actually you know, fry um, the tumor, um, again, without the patient even being aware um, that anything's going on um, inside them. Um, and so you take the same diagnostic tracer, make sure the tumor lights up, and then give the, the, a different flavor of the same tracer, and then treat it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So sort of a two-stage process. So, so you, you put in a sort of a low radiation tracer in, and you can take some images. If things are lighting up, let's say it's pancreatic cancer, then, then you conclude that it is actually um, uh, cancerous. And then you take the second step in terms of, uh, it's the same route in terms of treatment, same route, but this time it has sufficient uh, radiation uh, capabilities to actually actually fry the cancer cells. Yeah, a, a different kind. So the, the, the type of radiation that we um, link on to take a picture, they're, they're gamma, it's called gamma radiation, gives off gamma rays or x-rays. Doesn't fry things, but it, it just allows us to take a picture. And then we swap it out with a beta or an alpha particle. Um, allow us to and uh, I would imagine in the in the diagnostic phase do you get some measurements as to is there some optimization in terms of how much radiation would be optimum uh, given the given I don't know what the right term would be but <laughs> given the scope yeah. of the cancer right so that's a very good um, um, question um, and there's there's different approaches and we're still kind of you know at the early phases and we're kind of learning. So um, some of the therapies that we give have kind of um, a standard a standard dose. We're gonna give um, this to every to every patient. Um, others are, 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 are very per patient, although it's, all, it's somewhat crude. Um, it's like weight-based. You can say per, per kilogram of, of weight, we're gonna give this much radiation. Um, but there are different ways to, um, um, in what you are uh, um, describing, is um, is to quantify the actual tumor uptake. There are ways to do that. They they, they are complicated and time consuming, um, but we can certainly do them, and we do do that on specific cases. Um, but we're we're still kind of learning, you know, um, what's what's the right dose. There's a lot of different variability. Each patient will respond differently. Each tumor will respond differently. Um, but yes, yeah, so so the, the different options would be, you know standard dose to everybody, um, weight-based uh, uh, dose, or then try to be a more quanti quantitative per patient, which you would think would, would work the best, and it, and it probably will, and, we're, and this is what we're, people are working on right now, and we're kind of um, uh, working our way through. Yeah. I mean, cancer is obviously the most challenging disease. They say every person is different, every person's cancer is different, and so there is really no True. commonality in terms of uh, what a cancer might be, right? That's true. I mean, exactly. When you mentioned personalized medicine, I mean, a long time ago, you had breast cancer or you didn't, but it was everyone got treated the same with breast cancer. And then um, not that long ago, they said, hey, we can we can subdivide breast cancer into those that are estrogen receptor positive or progesterone receptor positive or, or HER2 
two receptor positive. Now we have like three kinds of breast cancer. But but guess what? There's probably you know dozens or or, or, or scores or more, and each patient might have. A, a slightly different mutation that we can take advantage of. Each patient's cancer has may have a slightly different um, mutation that we can take advantage of, and we want to personalize it um, per patient. Um, the problem is, uh, well, of course, working through all these different types and figuring out what works best. But but cancer is very sneaky, and um, you know it can be very variable within a within a single patient. And that's what we're seeing now with with pet imaging. We see, you know, we might know the patient has. 50 lesions from a CAT scan, but hmm, only half of them are lighting up on a PET scan with this tracer and the other half on this tracer. And so, um, you know, you can't treat all of them with the same with the same therapy, for example. And then the cancer will mutate. And, 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 and that's why it's so hard to, 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 um, to treat and, and to cure is because, you know, there's many different kinds and, and they're kind of a moving target even within a single patient, even within a, a single organ within a single patient. Different liver metastases might have different biology from each other and, and, and act differently. But that's where personalized medicine is heading. And I guess it's changing with time too, right? As you mentioned, the cancer is mutating as well. And so yeah. what you expect to see today could be different tomorrow. Absolutely, yes. So that makes it a challenging, challenging arena. Uh, you have another review article. Um, it, this is about radiomics. Uh, you say radiomics has the potential to play a pivotal role in oncological translational imaging, particularly in cancer detection, prognosis, prediction, and response to therapy, therapy evaluation. Um, and, the, and the paper talks about all sorts of different, um, different cancers. Um, and so what is sort of the state of the art in radiology in terms of uh, detection and prognosis prediction? Yeah, so, I mean, um, computers are taking over the world, <laughs> including medicine um, and including um, imaging uh, and, and radiology and molecular imaging. Um, hopefully not completely taking over the world. Um, <laughs> but, um, so like every other area, computers are, are making rapid in, inroads into, you know, how we operate and, and have become um, a real uh, important piece of the puzzle and increasingly so. And so, you know, radiomics is, is a relatively um, new term, um, but it, it basically, um, it, it's part of this whole computer-aided diagnosis, um, artificial intelligence um, that applies not just to nuclear molecular imaging, but you said all of radiology to all, to all of medicine. But in terms of radiology and radiomics, it's it's looking at features on the image um, that might not be appreciable to um, the radiologist um, using a computer to kind of, it's almost like putting, uh, I mean, there's different ways to kind of define it and, and to approach it and, and has different kinds of um, aspects to it. Um, but, you know, right now when I'm looking at a CAT scan, I see, um, a nodule, and I say, yeah, there's a nodule there, and it needs to be biopsy. Um, but what if we could put the edge of the nodule under a microscope and look at the interface between the, the, the nodule and the normal lung, and, and how what's the sine curve of the degree of, of spiculation or scalloping um, along the, that, that margin in a very fine detail level that my eye, that no eye could could see. Um, 
does that predict how this lesion, what this lesion is, um, how this lesion acts, what this lesion needs, what's the prognosis, what's the treatment? Um, so that's just one example of, of many different features. You could then say, well, let's look in the center of the nodule and see how it's, you know, some areas are, are denser and some areas are, are not as dense. Um, and so by, by looking at these types of features and seeing, you know, what did this turn out to be? How did the patient do? Um, putting this in a database and comparing it to many, 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 many different um, patients' nodules with similar different features. So trying to extract these, these features that, um, again, we, we, we either can't detect um, or, or weren't thinking about. Um, and, and then you can, you can go on and, and just let the computers, you know, run wild with, with deep learning and kind of, so we can try to train the computer, but, but the computer can then, um, you know, if you give it enough data, it can train itself. And, and, and what it finds is sometimes very surprising and almost, um, you know, nonsensical. Um, there, there, there was a study where, um, you know, that they had the computer analyze all sorts of, of mammograms um, and to see if it could detect, you know, which which patients had cancer, which cancers did better or worse. And, you know, it, it found lots of things that we were expecting, that one would expect, but then it found um, if the shoulder blades of the patient were, were elevated, um, the patient was going to do better or worse. They might die sooner. What, what does it have to do with anything? The shoulder blades. Well, it turns out that um, when you do a mammogram, you have to hug the machine. And, you know, if you're flexible or you're not flexible, your um, your shoulder blades are, are going to be elevated or not. And the, the non-flexible patients were, were you know, older and, and more sick and, and likely to die from other causes. And so it, it finds these things um, uh, that are actual and real, um, but are completely kind of out of left field. Um, um, some of them are useful and some of them aren't. I've gone a little bit into, into left field uh, with, with the question. No, no. That's, a, that's a really interesting area. So, I mean, the beauty of machine learning, uh, as you know, is that um, it can take large amounts of data. Um, I would imagine an experienced radiologist uh, ultimately creates a set of heuristics from experience uh, when, when he or she is re reading that image uh, to reach a conclusion. Uh, but there's those heuristics, heuristics, we can't really reveal those because it's essentially experience-based heuristics. So the radiologists say, I can tell you, but I can, you know, I can put this down in e equations uh, to precisely reach a conclusion. Um, whereas if you have all those features extracted, um, machine learning techniques could, uh, could be deployed on that. Uh, and there are two types of techniques, as you know, one is called supervised machine learning, which is basically saying, Suppose I give the machine images of um, cancer uh, and images of benign tu tumor. Uh, and so I have two, you know, two sets of data there and let the machine sort of learn from that. So it can assign a probability of a new one um, that is given. My understanding, Dan, is I don't know, I haven't seen this lately, but uh, I have heard that mammograms, uh, machines have gotten to about 4% error rate now and that is actually a little better than humans. <laughs> uh, perhaps mammograms are easier, I don't know, uh, but uh, machines seem to have done pretty well there. Yeah, um, so mammograms were one of the, the very first um, areas where 
um, computer-aided diagnosis um, was, I think it was the first FDA-approved um, uh, uh, area. In fact, at the University of Chicago, where, where I am, um, we were instrumental in, um, in, in that um, process. Um, but yes, um, uh, the, the thing about, computer, about computers and, and, and machine learning, um, that they're very good at, at doing several tasks, very focused tasks. And mammography is, is a very focused task. You're almost always simply just looking for one thing, a breast cancer in a breast or not. Um, but, um, you know, as you said, you, machines aren't, aren't perfect. They're, they're very, very good. And, um, you know, people always ask, are they going to be replacing radiologists and, and jobs? And I don't, I think the answer is no. Um, I mean, one way to think about it is that, you know, um, if you have two radiologists reading the same image, um, you know, they've done studies where um, if you have two, two mammographers reading the same, the, the mammograms, they're going to do they're going to do a little bit better. They're going to find um, a little bit more cancer. They're going to have more accurate diagnoses slightly. Um, it's way too expensive for any institution to, to do that. But what if one of the readers could be a computer um, and then kind of compare notes, um, that would be, um, you know, it's just kind of a simplistic example, but, but that's an example. You can think of it as, as a spell checker, um, you know, say, hey, this is, this is what I think. Did you notice this? What, what do you think about this thing over here? Oh, thank you. I didn't see that. Hmm. No, you know, I think that's okay, but I can see why that would bother you. Or, um, hmm, yes, you know what? I did not notice that, and you're absolutely right, computer. That's that's a suspicious lesion. And so, um, again, kind of simple examples, but um, in computers, are, there's no doubt they're going to get more and more sophisticated. Um, but it's kind of like with self-driving cars. You want, you know, they can do amazingly well, but then they can make incredibly bad mistakes um, that, a, that a human would never make. And so you have to find that right balance and the kind of um, kind of hybrid methodology of, of um, using computers, what they're good at, but being able to kind of override their, um, you know, boneheadedness sometimes or just different way of, of approaching um, the universe. Yeah, it's a computer enhanced human decision-making, right, at the end of the day. Um, there is, uh, I would imagine, scope for, you know, sort of exception-based management. Uh, what I mean is that suppose we have um, a deep learning uh, train network that can assign a probability that something is cancerous, and if that probability is extremely high, uh, perhaps the decision is some, somewhat obvious, but if it is like 55, 45, let's say, uh, that's not that useful um, from a decision-making perspective, and that's something that the human really needs to get involved in. You know, something along those lines, perhaps. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a good example of one thing that computer can say. Yeah, I'm sure of these. I'm not sure of these, and um, that would be more for the radiologist. Um, it could look at all these studies in advance and 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 say, you know, if you have a a board full of uh, CAT scans to read, and you're just reading them in the order they they popped up, but if the computer could be looking at them um, in advance and saying, hey, I think there's something really important, not a cancer, but like, you know, a stroke about to happen or, 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 or a big bleed in the head. You want to read this one first. Put it to the top of your list of 50. Um, there's so many different ways a computer can 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 um, enhance um, radiologists uh, workflow, accuracy, timeliness, all of these things. Yeah. 
And the other area is, as you know, is unsupervised machine learning. And I think, you know, that example that you gave in terms of uh, people hugging the machine, less flexible and more flexible. Uh, so even without labeled data, you know, you can let the machine sort of, you know, here's a bunch of images. Can you put those images into buckets, um, you know, into sort of look for patterns in those images? Um, basically, we are reaching we're reaching a stage that computing time is is getting less and less expensive, right? So you could you could let the machine just sit there, you know, uh, look at this data almost on a continuous basis, and it might actually come up with some insights uh, that that might take a human, you know, a, a long time, and that's very expensive from a you know, human resource perspective, I would think. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's uh, um, uh, certainly uh, one of the main ways that could be a big, a big. Yeah, so uh, as you look forward, Dan, in this area, um, in, uh, in the review paper, it talks about all, all, all the different types of cancers, um, where um, you know this sort of uh, machine learning approaches could be applied uh, from a from a diagnostic perspective, and so I know the technology is really advancing in radiology too. Um, so you look forward four or five years. Uh, where do you think you will be? Are there some sort of new technologies that are coming through that is making these images much more? Um, maybe higher resolution, more readable. I don't know what the right terminology might be, but there are new technologies in the horizon. Um, there's always new technologies on the horizon. <laughs> um, you know, four four years. Um, I'm not. You know, I, I love the old saying, and I find it to be pretty true that that you know, especially with with computers, uh, you know, we tend to overestimate what we're gonna what we're gonna accomplish or change in in three or four years. Uh, and yet underestimate, you know, in, in 10 to 15 years, the changes. Um, but as far, you know, so the, the, the field has become pretty um, mature as far as the imaging side, I, I feel. Um, we, we saw great growth um, uh, in the last um, um, 20 years. Um, I mean, kind of like television, right? We made the jump from, you know, analog to digital and then to high, high definition. You know, with 4K, with, with with regular high definition, and now 4K. Now they're talking about 8 and 16K, but it's really kind of diminishing returns at this point. I I feel, um, and so we've made some great strides um, with with CAT scanning and MR um, and uh, in PET scanning. Um, a couple of years ago, the the, the di digital PET scanners um, first started coming out, and, and they're and they're wonderful. Um, but you know, and I hate to predict this and maybe I'll be wrong, but um, from a hardware standpoint, I think we're, um, at least in nuclear, we're not going to, I don't see any huge, huge um, leaps going forward, but where we do see the leaps are um, in the, the new tracers that are being developed, and that's been a huge, so I mentioned, ro robust um, area of growth every couple months now. Um, we used to get one new tracer a decade, and now we're getting, you know, one or more uh, a year. It seems like every couple of months there's um, a, a new tracer being successfully, you know, forget about in the research pipeline. I mean, there's, there's dozens of those that actually um, brought to market, approved by the FDA, commercially reimbursed, being being manufactured and distributed and used in, 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 in routine use in patients. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see um, lots more of these 
tracers both for, the, for diagnosis, diagnosing disease um, and for, for treating them. Um, uh, and the computers are, are going to continue to progress. I mean, that's, that, that's not um, matured. I think that's going to, if anything, will continue to go. You know, people talk about the singularity, um, but it'll be, it, it can exponentially um, increase um, uh, in, in the, the, the power and the use of the computers. So I don't know, maybe maybe in, in 10 years, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this um, uh, deep learning computer uh, uh, assistance um, and di diagnostics and lots more of these tracers, which will now have a lot more time to, to kind of uh, utilize and, and, and have experience with um, to see, you know, where they fit in with this whole idea of personalized um, uh, medicine and molecular imaging and, and treatment. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very exciting, a very exciting time um, and, and field. Do you think um, Do you think we might uh, reach a position that just like mammograms now, that we reduce the cost of these scanning um, and, and diagnosis substantially to, to lower? We reach a point that maybe you do sort of a whole body scan. On a, on a routine basis. Uh, I don't know what routine, maybe once a year or something. And it's not it's not necessarily human looking at all this data. You know, all this data is pumped to a computer and the computer can assign some sort of a probability that something needs to be looked at. Do you think we might uh, we might get to something like that in the future? Um, it's possible. People have been talking about this for a while now. I mean, you walk into the ER and you just get a scan um, and, and, and you see what's going on. Or like you said, just as part of your annual your, your checkup. I mean, we, we have been um, uh, reducing the amount of radiation you need um, to get a good picture in the in, in those areas of radiology that use radiation, like CAT scans and, and, and nuclear, like PET scans. Um, and then, of course, there's um, radiology tools that um, images that use no radiate no radiation, um, like ultrasound or, or MRI. You get a full body MRI. Um, the, the problem is they're, they're still, you know, they're still expensive. They're, um, and even though the cost is coming down and they're time consuming, um, those that use radiation, even a low dose, it, it does slightly increase one's risk for things like, you know, cancer down the line. Um, number one, maybe the bigger problem, though, is um, we still uh, have a problem of overdiagnosis. So um, we haven't really talked about this, but... Um, once you take a picture and you often will find something, some, just a nodule or a cyst or something that if you hadn't taken a picture of it, it's, it's a benign thing or, 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 or a very indolent thing, never would have bothered the patient. But you have to prove that and go through all sorts of um, steps, other tests, biopsies. And these other tests are expensive and time-consuming and, and can actually end up causing complications and, and hurt the patient. Um, and so that's a big problem. Um, and even more than that, even trickier than that is um, even something that we find incidentally, like on one of these scans, um, some of them are actual cancers, but... There, there are also cancer. There's cancer and there's cancer, and we're finding that some small little cancers, like small um, uh, thyroid cancers, or even some breast or prostate cancers, yeah, if you would have lived to 500, 
uh, they would have turned into something bad. But but right now, they, again, they wouldn't have bothered you. And so even when we find a cancer now, um, we're not sure all the time what to do with it, depending on you know where it is and how big it is. These questions will continue to get sorted out. Um, again, not in five years, probably not in, in 10 years, but in maybe, you know, 20 to 40 year range. Um, we'll have a, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a process. Um, yeah. We'll have a better understanding of, you know, these types of things. But to answer your question, I, no, I don't see, um, even though it would help, it, it would be good for the field of radiology as far as financially. Um, I don't see it happening as far as, um, you know, just whole body scanning um, for, for an annual checkup, um, unless yeah. you're at a really high risk. Now, we, are, we do this, of course, with certain areas of mammograms. All women should be getting annual uh, mammograms starting at a certain age. And, and if you have a certain genetic mutation um, that puts you at a high risk, you should be getting it even more frequently and, you know, more advanced imaging like MRI. And so this is an, an, an example of personalized medicine. And we'll continue to see this, you know, kind of develop and blossom. Um, uh, but as far as, like, just your average person coming in, getting a scan, probably not for, for quite some time. Yeah, so as you said, there's a real trade-off there, right? I read somewhere that I don't know if it's true. Um, anybody above 70 has some sort of cancer somewhere, and uh, they're not going to die of that cancer. They're going to die of something else because they're not aggressive forms of cancer. So once once we go in and start to treat all of the, all of these things, you know, the just just the lifestyle and the and the utility from doing that declines quite dramatically, right? So. So I guess that is a real trade-off in terms of as technology improves. I was just uh, I was just thinking as we we're talking, you know, as you walk through that uh, scanner in the airport, and there's intelligence built into it, you know, and basically says you may have to you know go to, talk to a doctor. Right. Um, <laughs> well, you know, concerns. we're, we're um, uh, you know patients with these like. Fitbits or, or Apple watches that, that, that will measure your EKG, um, at least a crude example of it. I have a number of every uh, once or twice a month, we get a patient into the cardiac uh, clinic. Um, and, and the history is Apple watch or, or similar uh, detected a um, arrhythmia and that's what started the whole thing. So yeah, it's not, it's not so, so far fetched um, um, that these things will start to play a role. And then, you know, I talked about living to, you know, only going to live to 100. Well, that's a whole that's a whole other discussion with with, with someone um, smarter and more expert on, than me about um, you know the, the the parallel advances we're making in uh, longevity and, and you know anti aging um, genetic modifications and all sorts of stuff and being able to live to you know 150 or or, or 200 or or, or beyond um, um, that's probably coming maybe again not in. 10 years, unfortunately, but um, so it gets, it opens up all these other questions. We're living longer. Um, we're going to get more cancers and, you know, it's kind of a, uh, an arms race between, uh, between all these different factors. Yeah, it's a truly multidisciplinary area, right? Um, and so, so I want to ask you in conclusion, because you're also involved in education. Uh, so as students, you know, uh, think about this, this arena um, as a possible career. I mean, there is um, information technology there. We talked about artificial intelligence, uh, imaging techniques, uh, diagnostics, uh, nuclear medicine. Uh, 
truly multidisciplinary area, um, what would be your sort of advice uh, to students who might consider this arena as, as a possible choice? Yeah, I mean, last time I checked, uh, I think people have been a little scared off. People have made some, uh, some people in the field have made some uh, comments uh, that, you know, radiologists will be out of work in 10 years. And, and we're actually seeing um, uh, nationwide, uh, uh, again, I haven't checked, you know, last couple months, but um, there was a, a downturn in, in applications. Um, to these areas, I, I suspect that's going to turn around because once people realize that, you know, that, that all these, um, that, that, that first of all, the computers are not going to take our jobs, they're going to enhance our jobs. Um, and number two, as, as molecular personalized medicine continues to grow and, and, and radiology and nuclear medicine and molecular imaging and, uh, uh, plays a larger and larger role in the diagnosis and, and therapy, um, you know, I think that's, it's going to be. Uh, become even uh, more popular maybe than it was um, uh, in, in its heyday in, in, in the past. I mean, we're still, uh, plenty of people are going into, into radiology and nuclear medicine, but the numbers were a little bit down um, recently, but again, I suspect they're going to um, start start turning um, back up because it's, you know, it, it's a great area and it's only going to get continue to get better. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have an interest in both on the computer side as well as on the medical side. This seems like a fantastic area to get into. Absolutely, yep. Uh, the, the, there's a, something for everybody. There's interventional procedures, if you like, kind of being more hands-on surgical mentality. Um, there's uh, tracer design and, and development, you know, benchtop science area. Um, and as you said, the whole, you know, our, our computer uh, interface, the interface we have with computers is probably more than any other um, uh, type of, uh, of physician. So if you're interested in, in, in that, um, absolutely, that's um, an area. So you're right, there, there, there's a lot of different things and probably something for anybody. Excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Dan. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate it. And um, it was very nice to meet you. Thank you. This is a Scientific Sense podcast providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com.